This podcast was made with Descript. Descript is a groundbreaking new media tool that allows creators to edit audio and video like a text document and create a realistic clone of their own voice for seamless edits. Please check out our Patreon at Asian Hustle Network. We want Asians to continue being meaningful and give back to the Asian community. If you enjoy our podcast and would like to contribute to our feature, we hope you become a patron. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today, we have Jimmy Koo, and he is the current COO at Mixerbox, a mobile entertainment startup that has had over 300 million downloads, spending over 120 billion minutes. Mixerbox is backed by investors such as Y Combinator, Initialize Capital, Infinity Ventures, and more. He is an angel investor, advisor to startups like Torre, Price.com, Zen Sports, and more, and a venture scout for Grisham Robotics and 10X Capital. Previously, Jimmy was a general manager of Fundraise Concierge at Atrium, where he helped start out founders with the process of fundraising. Over the last three years, he met with thousands of startups and helped founders raise over $330 million in additional funding. Jimmy graduated with honors from UC Berkeley's Haas School of Business with degrees in business administration and economics and started his career as a management consultant. Jimmy, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, we're so excited to have you in the show today. So let's hop right into it. Jimmy, what was your upbringing like? Uh, you know, it was quite a change because I think you, you just mentioned I went to Berkeley and I grew up in a little city called Cerritos down in, in L.A. And if you're from Southern California, then you've got the Cerritos Auto Score jingo in your head right now. And uh, I think you were from L.A. as well, Brian. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> you might you might have heard of us. We're known for the Auto Square. Um, but the upbringing, I mean, it was very sheltered. At the end of the day, we were in this suburban little city that, you know, it was very different when I went to Berkeley, everything kind of completely changed. Um, And I just kind of, I think, wasn't aware of everything that was really going on because, you know, because of, you know, where where I was at. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's that's crazy. Learned a lot kind of changing uh, and coming here, went to Berkeley for college, uh, and then I stuck around afterwards and decided, you know, I really like the Bay Area. This is where mm-hmm. tech is. This is where the startups are. This is where innovation is, and mm-hmm. decided to stick around and, and build a, uh, a kind of a career here. Yeah. How'd you become so entrepreneurial? And was this something that your parents kind of taught you growing up, or is it something that you kind of manifested on your own? Yeah, talk a little bit about, you know, the type of household that you grew up in. <laughs> yeah, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And always said, hey, I'm going to be a businessman, but I didn't really know what that meant. So as a kid, um, my, my grandfather is actually very entrepreneurial. He got into real estate. He started uh, purchasing real estate in Taiwan and in the U.S. And he's you know, built up his business around that. And so he always encouraged and my dad as well, always encouraged us to, to do you know, whatever we needed to do. And as a kid, I actually uh, kind of always said I wanted to do that, but I didn't really know what that meant. But I always found ways to kind of create little mini businesses. Mm-hmm. So when I was actually in elementary school, I used to basically sell whatever was the popular fad. So we're talking mm-hmm. about, you know, baseball cards, basketball cards, um, you know, anything, comic books, all kinds of things. So I used to basically be the, the person who would help kids get like all of these like fads and things like that, pogs mm-hmm. or whatever else, all kinds of things. Uh, I used to have price lists for, for comic books and things of that sort. Mm-hmm. And then I remember my grandfather, actually taught me um, all about business. So he talked to me mm-hmm. about like profit margins and things like that, <laughs> marketing and things like that. So I learned a lot from him. Um, but yeah, I did that kind of throughout uh, elementary school, throughout high school. I was mm-hmm. uh, selling all kinds of things. I actually, um, uh, you know, some of my friends from high school also know this. Um, I always had cash on me just because I wasn't spending a lot of the, I was very mindful and very cash efficient even when I was at a young age. <laughs> so I used to kept, keep all my cash, but then I'd use my cash to buy things that then I'd resell. Um, but because I had the cash, a lot of times uh, when people needed to borrow some money, they knew that they can come to me and borrow money. Wow. So it was like a, a high school loan shark business where <laughs> I was charging, you know, like 
25 cents off of a $2, you know, you know, they borrowed $2 and I charged them like 25 cents or whatever it was. Um, so yeah. percentage wise, it was a loan shark business, but you know, we're, we're talking about very small amounts, obviously, but you know, very early on, I was always kind of trying to sell and buy things and, and build up something or another. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, throughout college, of course, I went to Berkeley, got a degree in economics and business administration, learned more about what it is that was out there. And then my first business out of college, or I guess first job out of college was management consulting. Because I really wanted to learn more about how these companies become large companies. You know, a, a little loan shark business as a uh, high schooler doesn't really pay much. It doesn't really do much. <laughs> how do you grow something really, really large? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of my foray, I guess, initially started out as a management consultant, Deloitte Consulting, worked with some incredible people, learned a lot there, just kind of... Um, saw a lot of the corporate strategy at these Fortune 100 companies, business process improvement type work that we were able to do there also helped me kind of figure out what companies were having trouble with. And then from there, um, that's really where I then took the first step into the startup space. So while I was there, um, you know, I was making really good money. And Deloitte has a really great program, actually, where, um, first of all, they have a great analyst program. They teach you a lot through that whole process. Uh, but they also have a program where they pay for your business school. So if you get into mm-hmm. business school, they awesome. go through their program, they'll pay for it, all that good stuff. Um, now, I stupidly decided that even though I got into that and had, you know, basically a, a six-figure job waiting for me, I decided to throw all of that away and start my own business. So that's kind of <laughs> how it all first started. My parents were not very happy. I basically told them, hey, this job that's been paying me really good money and they're going to pay me more when I come back from business school. And oh, by the way, they're going to pay for my business school. And oh, they, they're going to pay for a laptop and you know all that good stuff that they're going to pay for. Um, and I'm giving it all up. And uh, I'm building this company now. And that was mm-hmm. not something that was an easy conversation. But that's kind of what actually got started, got me started into the tech space, um, that's when I, you know, kind of jumped right in and, and really got into that. Never went back and got my MBA, but I, I've done okay for myself since that point in time. Um, but the reason it started was actually, so I'd gotten into, you know, business school, uh, applied for my MBA. Um, and I started chatting with my friend uh, about startups and the whole startup space. And he said, you know what, you should, I mean, you really want to build a company. Just let's build one. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. Me and you, let's, let's build a company. And I said, that's funny. We don't have an idea. We have no capital. And I'm about to go to, I was going to move to New York for grad school. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, 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 no. Let's, let's come up with an idea. Um, you've got a couple more weeks before you have to decide. So let's give ourselves two weeks. And if we come up with a good idea and we get funding for it, then let's go build this company. And I said, okay, let's do that. It was like two weeks. And then, no joke. It was just like, hey, let's, let's come up. <laughs> no idea. We don't, I mean, like, hey, we want to build up a business, but you know, we have nothing yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started pitching ideas. I'd give him an idea and he said, that's terrible. He'd give me another idea. That's terrible. And we kept talking. Uh, and then we hit upon an idea we both actually really liked. So at the time, what was happening was, I love planning things. I, I just uh-huh. like when I go on a trip, I plan out every little detail. Oh, as soon as you with you. <laughs> I, I, yeah. And I, I love, tra- I mean, like I, I do a lot and people who have traveled with me know that I plan out like every minute of the, the, the trip, yeah. like everything, the food, the, the, the activities, everything. Right. And we don't always do everything and that's okay, but at least let's have the information. Right. right. What should we do? What could we do? Where are things located? Uh, I don't want to waste my time if I'm, you know, going somewhere. And that's, that's just me personally. Not everyone travels that way. Yeah. Um, but one of my friends was going on a trip to New York. I remember. And he said, Oh, Hey, remember, I, I think you just went, can you send me, you know, what it is that you guys did out there? And he's thinking, you know, maybe just an email or whatever. I sent him like a full on itinerary. It was like a week full of like, it was every minute was like, you knew exactly where you were like doing or, or it was like completely planned out all prettied up. It was like a really nice PDF, everything. And he said, how long did this thing take you? I mean, this uh, thing is like insane. It's just like everything's planned out. You, you talked about the Broadway shows. You talk about how long you're going to take to commute from where this is to this. And it's like everything's like planned out. And I said, oh, it took me a really long time because basically what I was doing was Googling a bunch of stuff and then putting it into a, uh, I think I was using a Word document. And then I had to pr- you know, create a nice, pretty format. And then I used Google <laughs> Maps and I put the maps in there. And every day had a map and, you know, like mapping out the d- directions and, you know, all that stuff. And he said, this is really cool. Why can't we just do that mm-hmm. online and just do what you did? But, you know, for everyone else who just doesn't have the time because the information's already out there. Like people mm-hmm. just want to have access to the information in easy fashion. What if I automatically 
created that itinerary that you did automatically for someone else. Right. That would be really cool. So that was the first business actually that I started up. Um, so started up with two other founders, Steve Chen and, uh, and, and, and James Chen, both the Chens, they are not related. Um, <laughs> James and I were, were actually were the ones who were talking about this idea. Mm-hmm. Um, we then brought the idea to Steve. Steve became our first investor and then we actually uh, convinced him to be our CEO. He had been wow. a person who's built up a lot of businesses. He was very well respected. We both were really young at the time. We felt like, hey, having someone like Steve would legitimize us and him being the leader would be like a a much better opportunity for all of us and of course that all kind of you know kind of kick-started things and then um, Steve and I went out we got some funding some kind of angel funds for for the company and we started that up so Steve is uh, still an angel investor, still very active. We're still very close, of course. Uh, we started the, the Modernist together. You guys know about that, the 5A5 Steakhouse, all of that. Wow. Um, not, the, not the Steve Chen from YouTube. Um, <laughs> we, we, know, we all know him as well. He's great. Um, but, uh, but the Steve Chen that, uh, that I worked on with um, on this first company, Go Planet, um, mm-hmm. you know, he's obviously done you know, incredible things. And, and he's still kind of one of those... Um, you know, you talked about building a network like with AHN. Steve is, is that type of person, right? He's been doing that uh, forever. I mean, I've, ever, ever since I've known him, um, he's got this most, most incredible memory ever. Like he actually still remembers my birthday. Like very few people do, to be honest. Like, look, dude, we, we interact with so many people, so many things going on. Um, most people don't. Uh, but how Steve and I first met actually was um, uh, at the time he was running kind of a, a nightclub um, kind of promotion business. Mm-hmm. And I was throwing a birthday party and I got connected to him as the person who knew, you know, everything and throws the great parties and everything. Um, and I said, Oh, I'd like to throw a party for, for my birthday. And then, um, you know, I brought in something like three or 400 people and he's like, Oh, okay. This guy can bring some people <laughs> could, could be useful for the business. Um, and then, uh, you know, ever since then, he's just like, he's, he's remembered my birthday actually. That's how wow. we've first met uh, many, many years ago. Of course, we've worked on many different businesses now at this point. He's been an investor in, in multiple of my um, businesses and mm-hmm. he's really the, the key. He's the person who really started it. So Go Planet was that first business. Uh, we were part of TechCrunch 50 back in the day when that was the only startup conference in town. Uh, mm-hmm. So at the time there was like this conference called like, I think it was demo or something. You have to pay to go on stage and present. And TechCrunch decided, you know what? Founders don't have money. Why are they paying money to go and present their business? That's the wrong way to do it. We should be charging the VCs and and the attendees and let's switch up the conferences. Um, And I'm going to give the the, the founders and the startups a free stage to present themselves. Because at the end of the day, these guys need that. Um, They're just getting started. And so TechCrunch, I think we were part of 2007 or 2008. It was kind of the first few years of that. Um, some incredible companies have come about from there, obviously. For our year alone, we were in the same class. There was 50 companies. Mm-hmm. We were in the same class as Dropbox, wow. as Yammer, as Fitbit, as TrueCar. These are all companies that are like household names, billion-dollar companies now that we're talking about. And I remember, you know, Steve and I presented our company, so we were in the back uh, preparing ourselves. Uh-huh. And of course we're there with the folks like Drew Houston from Dropbox and like, you know, all these incredible founders. Um, and, and we're all, you know, in the same boat, right? We're all nervous about being on stage. Our startups are just getting started. And so, um, it was a really incredible experience and from TechCrunch and, and that whole experience, I met some incredible, uh, investors. Oh, actually, uh, Ashton Kutcher also presented a company on stage that year as well. Wow. There with Demi Moore. We had like, uh, I met MC Hammer that year. Uh, Sean Parker was one of our, uh, judges for our, uh, company. So like all of those people that, um, kind of the starting point of a lot of the, the connections within Silicon Valley, it really started because I just went out there, we did this company, uh, mm-hmm. and we, we got to meet and, uh, interact with a lot of people. There's a lot of stories about people going up and down Sand Hill Road. Steve and I went up and down Sand Hill Road. We pitched every, <laughs> every <laughs> I mean, we went like, it was like door to door. You know, we, we had a lot yeah. of conversations, a lot of pitch meetings. Um, and, and I met a lot of these, you know, partners and, and, you know, whoever else, all these investors. And I've just continued to keep that relationship with them ever since mm-hmm. that point in time. So, you know, going on 13, 14 years of this where, you know, I've been, chatting with them or working with them now in a variety of different capacities um, over the last few years. But that's how I first started. 
that startup of, you know, ended up not really working out. Mm-hmm. We were actually going through talks for an acquisition that ultimately failed. And then um, Steve and I both decided, look, we've just worked on it long enough. We both need to just move on to something else. So mm-hmm. I actually got recruited away to work at another travel startup. And so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. my experiences at GoPlan actually really helped me because everything I le- learned, done, all the experiences there actually helped me with my next role. So I mm-hmm. uh, started out in this company called Reardon Commerce at the time. And at the, mo- at the time when I joined the company, I just raised something like $100 million from Citibank. Mm-hmm. So the company was going through a massive growth stage. It was like, oh, hey, we've got all this capital. We've got all these huge opportunities. I got hired on board originally as a senior product manager there within the consumer space. And it was interesting because I remember having conversations with the team there about something that they wanted to build and they had competitors and I saw my own company as one of the competitors who was looking at. So they wanted to build something that they could do within the travel planning space, which, yeah. you know, my, my, my company was right up there. They had screenshots. They had all this stuff like, Okay, this is interesting. Oh, man, how does that feel uh, though? Seeing your own company as your own competitor at your job. It was good and bad, you know. It was like, <laughs> sad because I knew we were moving on from that, but it was also kind of like interesting because I had, of course, lived and breathed that for several years, and so yeah. had a lot to contribute there. So I, um, you know, that that role was actually really perfect for me. I did, you know, pretty well within the organization. Started really moving up the ranks. I became head of product within. I think it was there for two years. I was head of product mm-hmm. for all the travel business um, and, and really kind of, you know, kept growing there. Um, but at a certain point, I just kind of felt like, okay, <laughs> going back to what you were saying, my entrepreneurship kind of roots were saying, look, you should just be doing this yeah. on your own. And it was, again, like really finding something that I could be passionate about. If I'm really, really excited about it, if I'm really passionate about it, um, then, you know, then it all makes sense. And it actually happened over hamburgers. Um, you know, I had a conversation with another friend of mine. At this point in time, um, was ready to, to leave already. Um, had conversations with a friend of mine. He said, I've got this idea. Um, you know, another mutual friend of ours had said, hey, the two of you need to talk. Uh, I believe you guys are, are perfect for each other, for what you guys are interested in, what you guys could be working on. We, you know, I had no idea what he's working on. He and I, you know, just been friends. We've, you know, partied together. We know each other. but." I have no idea what he's working on. Uh, he had no idea what I had been working on. So <laughs> we went into this, like just purely off of the fact that our, our mutual friend Nada basically said, Hey, you need to go talk to each other. Mm-hmm. And so Apton Rostamian, he and I had a conversation uh, and he said, here's what I'm trying to build. And I said, wow, this is perfect because what you're talking about, it was within the mobility space. It was within mm-hmm. transportation. Uh, and it was actually something that I had been working on at Reardon and Dean. Yeah. Something that I actually, I actually had built up a whole thing around this. And then the CEO ended up saying, hey, we can't do this right now. And it got kind of pushed behind. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the ideas of what he was working on and what I had been working on were like a perfect match. Mm-hmm. And the two of us were a perfect match, actually, in terms of building this company together. Mm-hmm. Because my background has always been business. I can do the operations. I can do the business. I can't build software. That's just not me. And so Afton was someone who had built these types of things. He, he actually, you know, built up pretty complex uh, AI algorithms. And so, you know, he was the perfect kind of complement for me and in, in my ability to do the sales, the operations, the marketing, all of the business side of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the two of us started this up. It was a total garage kind of, you know, story where we were literally working out of his one bedroom place in, in uh, San Francisco. And, you know, no pay, nothing. We were just working. We were both really passionate about this. And the idea was at the time, this was early days of Uber and Lyft, where transportation was just getting, like the idea of mobility was just coming around. But what we were seeing is you've got basically the, the black car providers and the, you know, the taxis of the world where it's a little bit more expensive. And then you've got UberX, uh, where it's still pretty expensive. And then you've got all the way on the other end of the spectrum, you've got buses. Yeah. And buses are cheap. They get you around. They're a great way to get where you need to go, mm-hmm. a fixed route. But everything in between, there's actually a big hole. Like people want mm-hmm. to basically have 
the comfort and convenience of the black cars and, and maybe even the taxis, um, but they didn't want to pay that full price, which at the time, if you were talking about just kind of high-level numbers, going from the marina downtown to Fidei Mm -hmm. uh, in an Uber, like if you were to take an Uber directly from, you know, your home over to the office, uh, to the office, it'd be like $15, 10 to $15. And if you did that twice a day, I mean, like most people just couldn't really afford to do that every single day. So you'd have to take a bus, yeah. you know, or you'd have to figure out another way. And the buses were terrible because they were jam packed. They, you know, they were smelly, um, you know, they were cheap, but you just had to do it because you need to get mm -hmm. to work, but not because you actually wanted to. So between $10 and like $15 or sorry, $2 and like $15 was an opportunity for us. And we felt like if we took the idea of having multiple people paying smaller amounts and getting them to where they're trying to get to, but maybe close, but not exactly where they're trying to get to. Mm -hmm. If that idea sounds familiar, it's like exactly what Uber pool, Lyft line, all of that is now become, right? Mm -hmm. So it was the early days that of course wasn't there. That was our idea. Um, you know, we launched it and kind of built that and we built that into something that we can have an MVP. Mm -hmm. and from there we went out there and, and went on the fundraising track and it was actually, you know, one of the more successful fundraisers we've gone through. Like I said, I, I went through it with GoPlanet, our fundraise for Loop, the company's called Loop, L-O-U-P. Mm -hmm. um, we did that really, really efficiently because at that by that point in time, we had gotten, you know, a lot of contacts and gotten to meet a lot of investors. And we, like I, I had gotten to meet a lot of them already. So we started a, a much more uh, kind of refined process where we talked to a lot more people. I was talking to 10 plus people a day and I crammed them all into a short period of time. And, you know, there's a lot of things that I, I talked to uh, companies about right now around their fundraise where it's like, Hey, there are things you can do to increase your likelihood of success. And that's where it kind of came from is my personal experiences from that. We ended up going out there trying to raise a seed round of $500,000. We ended up raising 1.5 million uh, in about four weeks, um, it kind of, you know, it went really quickly. And then of course it took a couple more weeks to get some of the, uh, people who said they were going to put in to actually get the, the money in the bank. Um, but yeah, we finished the process in about four weeks. Uh, we ended up getting some incredible angel investors on board, got some, uh, incredible firms, uh, to be a part of it as well. We ended up turning down another 3.5 million. Um, so that was just like, and that was a seed round. I mean, that was like an incredibly large seed round at that you know time. Now it's like $5 million seed rounds are like pretty normal these days, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I learned a lot of it from there. And then, um, from that experience, you know, maybe about three years ago decided, you know, all my experiences, having been a founder myself, going through the fundraising process, having been an angel investor in, in multiple companies, having already been an advisor to a couple companies, I really liked working with companies. So about three, four years ago, decided to work at an accelerator. So it's focused on frontier technology. Mm -hmm. That's buzzwords like AI, ML, AR, VR, all kinds of that cool mm -hmm. stuff. So yeah, I, so I decided to go to work for an accelerator, a frontier technology accelerator here in the Bay Area. And it was focused on a lot of buzzwords like AR, VR, AI, ML, a lot of really exciting stuff, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, helped the 40 companies in that accelerator with a lot of their growth strategies, conversations around partnerships, and also, of course, their fundraising. So mm -hmm. really got to have a, a great opportunity to work with a lot of startups. So we're more in like the seed series A stage. Uh, over the course of the year, helped them raise over $130 million. I really enjoyed wow. it, actually. Um, and, and a lot of the things that I was doing there was also building a community around Frontier Technology. So I built, uh, so I, I, you know, set up events and, and had conversations with a lot of folks. I set up some dinners, too, between the um, accelerator companies and these really successful entrepreneurs. And that's how I kind of reconnected and learned about what Justin was actually doing. So mm -hmm. Justin Kahn, of course, mm -hmm. had sold uh, Twitch to Amazon for like a billion dollars and very successful, uh, incredible founder. And at the time, um, starting to build up something new. So he was working on something within the legal services space and built a company called Atrium. Atrium had just raised $75 million from Andreessen Horowitz, General Catalyst, and several others. Um, and he saw that with legal services is really interesting because it's a very much a trust-based business. Right. So 
it's hard for a brand new startup to say, okay, I'll hand over my legal services to you, uh, another startup that I don't really know and don't really know how, what the quality of, of it will be. Right. And so one of the things he recognized early on was if we can build that trust, if we can get to know the startups earlier on, then the likelihood of them signing on board for legal and everything else is, is kind of amplified. And so his idea was, well, earlier on and something that every startup needs help with is fundraising. So maybe we can build something around the fundraising process, provide some guidance there. And then from there, we can, of course, convert those startups to actually paying customers on the Atrium platform. And so that was the original idea. The idea was this would be part of the growth organization and the lead generation. Because if we talk to a lot of people about uh, fundraising, then they, we can build that trust and rapport with them. And then, of course, we can then sell them legal services. It wasn't right. intended to be something that was actually uh, you know, profit generating so much as a, really a lead generation. Mm-hmm. Now, over the course of uh, the year and a half that I was there, we ended up doing a couple of things there. So one, absolutely. It was a huge lead generation for the rest of Atrium. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned, you know, talking to over a thousand companies. I actually counted it. It was like 1300 plus companies actually um, over the course of one year. So I spoke wow. to a lot of founders, an incredible amount of companies, had a lot of those meetings. And over the course of the year, also worked with some bigger clients where we actually sold them consulting work. And so what I ended up building at Atrium was the most profitable business unit at Atrium. We actually signed a lot of contracts. We ended up helping our clients raise over 200 million during the course of the year. I built the team, which originally started out uh, as just me. It was, you know, really just me and two part-time people. Um, We built that into six full-time people in in an organization that was actually profitable. It was growing, um, you know, had a lot of very happy clients um, and, and was working actually around how to help clients with the fundraising process, you know, talking about narrative, talking about how to run an effective process, talking about who the right investors are uh, for these folks. And so that's what I was doing before. And of course, uh, you know, you guys mentioned that I'm currently the chief operating officer at Mixerbox. I think one of the things that I realized, you know, a couple of points in my startup journey is the the kind of thrill of building something you own and just like you guys have built AHN and, and you know seeing that grow uh, is something really exciting and so really excited to be now part of the Mixerbox team. Mixerbox was actually one of my clients back at Atrium wow. and I had seen them continue to grow uh, their revenues and, and just you know had a, a great time working with the team um, and uh, you know myself and the CEO John Lai had a couple conversations about well what do you think about helping us get to the next level. How do you, what do you think about helping us, you know, 10 X our revenues? And they were actually the only client I worked with that ended up not raising capital because they were growing their revenue so fast. They decided to focus their efforts on something different. So now I'm really focusing on, on continuing that growth with them. Wow. Wow. It's, you gave us so many good nuggets. Yeah. We're just trying to just over here. <laughs> oh. Amazing. I mean, just to back it up a bit too, I mean, you were the kids selling all the, like, the stuff. Oh, yeah, man. Pogs, comic books, baseball cards, you name it, whatever you needed. That that Um, was the first time that I heard of a loan shark. I know. (laughs) People normally sell, like, candy and, you know, just goodies, but that's the first time I heard of a high school. I didn't, um... I didn't see it that way, but it was funny. I, I was catching up with another friend of mine who I've known since, you know, we were kids basically. And, and, and we've known each other since seventh grade, actually. And he said, you remember when you used to be a loan shark? And I said, I wasn't a loan shark. He said, yeah, you charged me like 25 cents for like $2. And I paid you back the next day. Like that's a loan shark. <laughs> <laughs> Nowadays, it's like, how long you build so. bucks? You get 25. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess if you do the numbers, it makes sense. That's pretty high interest rates for one day of, uh, you know, $2. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... Hats off to that. I mean, I wasn't a kid that thought the same way as you. I was a kid that buying stuff from you. I was a consumer. <laughs> yeah, and it was interesting because um, you know, and they said I, I kind of hooked them on things. So yeah. um, there were a lot of card games that were also happening right around kind of the high school years, and so I got really hooked on like Magic: The Gathering and some of these other card games. Yeah. And what I would do is I'd host booster drafts and and kind of oh, get yeah, together with friends. And of course, I'd buy the boosters and then I'd charge them a markup. But then, you know, we'd have this like little mini tournament. But then once they started playing, I would, of course, get 
the boosters and the cards and, and whatever for everyone who was playing. So it was almost like getting them hooked on <laughs> the cards and the things that they needed. And then of course, you know, getting them. Cause what I, what I recognized pretty early on is um, the comic book stores have a pretty hefty markup. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I started figuring out where the comic book stores were actually buying their boxes from. So I'd buy boxes from the manufacturer um, you know, for like pretty much half the price. And then I just sell it for just a little bit less than the comic book stores. And then I offered convenience because I deliver it directly to school. So they don't even have to, you know, even go to a you know comic book store to go get it. I said, I'd come to class and, you know, when I see you in class, I just hand you what you're paying for and, you know, we'll take care of it. Yes. So it became a, a convenience plus a better pricing thing. And uh, always that's, how cornered, that's how I cornered my market on the, on the one classes and the classes that I was in. <laughs> we also noticed that you're so well connected in the bay area like you know almost everyone that we can think of you know <laughs> that, that's a great trait of yours like where you listen to jim uh your other podcast and jeremy's and we love yeah. your value of giving back you know giving yeah. first we're taking we love that that's our value at ahn as well mm-hmm. we live by that value i'm kind of curious too as you're going from your past experience as you're working with founders and whatnot what kind of advice would you give to founders trying to find the right advisors at the early stage point of their company? That's a great one. There's a lot of folks who will, well, a lot of startup founders need, they need, think they need a lot more advisors than they do. So honestly, you probably don't need as many of them. Um, Now seeking Mm -hmm. the right ones, a lot of folks will be willing to offer you advice. Not all of them great. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I think it's important to understand where, where your strengths are. Um, what you have to offer, where your weaknesses are also. I think it's just being really um, mindful of where your own strengths and weaknesses are to understand where you need some more help. So I mentioned earlier that I know that I'm a you know business economics major who understands maybe process improvements and, and things of that sort, uh, corporate strategy, whatever. Like I get that. I understand sales. I understand operations. But there's areas that I know that I'm not as good at. Now, if you understand that there are holes to be filled, then it's good to find the people that you can work with that will help you in those areas. So let's say marketing is a good example. I don't think I'm very strong in marketing actually. Um, And so if there are folks who really understand search engine optimization, for example, or app store optimization or, you know, growth marketing or whatever, then it's good to learn from those people. It's good to associate and learn from them to work with them. And if you feel like they can be uh, a huge value add to the company, um, then they could be really good advisors. So it's always, I think, you know, in terms of the companies that I work with as an advisor, I have to be bringing some value that I know they don't currently have or that they could use and it could be really helpful to the company and vice versa. When I'm building a company, if I'm looking for advisors, it has to be something where it's like, I don't have it myself and I'd love to work with you because I know you have it. You're known for it. You're really good at it. Um, and there's something that you can contribute there that I, uh, you know, myself could not have. And so I think that's really important. Um, a lot of times it's also important to recognize that, you know, giving away some of these uh, founder shares and advisory shares is probably not the smartest thing early on in, in the company as well. Um, you're, equity is going to be really important. I think, you know, there's the saying that hundred percent of zero is still zero. And yes, that's true. I mean, like when you're building it up, you don't know what it's going to be worth. It could be zero. It could be, you know, Airbnb, DoorDash, and all these other great companies that have IPO'd recently. Um, But it's important that if you are going to bring someone on, that you know that you can work with them, that you know that they will be contributing something and that you don't give out you know, the, the advisory shares kind of willy nilly into a lot of people because you really want to be mindful about who you're selecting. So be very selective. Don't give it away. In some cases I've actually told founders, Hey, you know what, what you have is, is really quite valuable. Um, you should tell the advisor you want them on board, but you should be offering them a chance to invest as opposed to being just an advisor or maybe a combination, right? You can certainly do that as well. Um, but, but don't give away too much and, and certainly only give it away if you feel like, um, what they can contribute, what they can add to the value of a company is going to be incredible. Right, yeah, right, right. That, that is really, yeah. really good advice. You know, yeah. we have talked to a good handful of founders throughout Asian Hustle Network. <laughs> I would say we're about almost a, 
almost say like a thousand meetings that we took with other founders. <laughs> That's a lot of meetings, yeah. yeah. Advise potential advisors too. And we do, you know, different advisors have different perspectives. So it's easy to get pulled into different directions. Yeah, we realize a huge mistake that founders make, like you said before, is giving mm-hmm. away too much equity. Yeah. But that being said, too, like what is the approximately the right amount of equity <laughs> should you give away because that's a question that comes up over and over and over mm-hmm. that we hear throughout the community and we feel like this is the perfect time to answer it yeah there's an, okay so when you're talking about advisory shares and an advisor um you know well advisory shares um there's not a well first of all there's not a right number for any of this stuff it's all kind of like yeah it's rough numbers but in terms of advisory shares generally what i've seen is something like half a percent to two percent mm-hmm. like you're not giving away a lot you're also not getting a lot of people um at the end of the day these advisors are also very much part-time right mm-hmm. so um you're not giving away too much there and i wouldn't give away too much there that's roughly what i've seen at least um and, and of course depending on where you are and what stage you're in um then it could be different if you're talking about fundraises the high level uh, number that most people aim for or, or seek or kind of see is that for the round of funding, you're generally giving away about 20% of your company. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, of course, as you have subsequent rounds, there's going to be uh, dilution and, and other things and of course conversion of the people from the last round and pro rata and all this other stuff. But that's high level numbers is that you're generally looking at if you're thinking, okay, um, you know, we're doing a $10 million note. Well, you know, we'll raise $2 million and that's, you know, high-level stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's well, really good advice. advice. Yeah. I'm also very curious, you know, I, I know you're all about ensuring that people around you succeed as well, and you're all about celebrating other people's success. And it, it also goes back to HN as well. You know, you invited, you helped invite a lot of people into the network. And thank you we, so much yeah, for that. Yeah, thank you, Jimmy. And we understand that you wanted to see this community thrive. And if we can get you know, very successful people into this community, you know, people will be inspired and be successful as well. And so I'm very yeah. curious, how do you continuously ensure that everyone in your network has room to succeed as well? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think I've been very fortunate in meeting some really incredible people, getting a chance to just have conversations, meet and, and you know, get to know some of these really incredible people that you said are, are part of AHN and, and are part of my network. Um, you know, I think, I do what I can to help, but really there's not much that I'm really doing. It's really them, right? At the end of the day, it's, it's the individual. Um, so I, I generally like meeting and, and, you know, chatting with folks like yourselves and others who are the go-getters, the hustlers, the people who just make things happen, right? They like something, they see something wrong. They want to do something about it. Um, because, I, I get energy off of having conversations with people like that. People are trying to innovate, trying to build something really cool. It's really great to have a conversation with someone who's really excited uh, about what they're building, really looking forward to kind of disrupting something, you know, like it, it's, it's, uh, it's intoxicating. I love having those types of conversations. So I don't think it's really me uh, helping in that sense. I think it's generally the person themselves kind of really pushing forward to it. Um, but I think what I've been able to do is just have really good conversations with them. And this is something, you know, Brian, you said earlier, uh, about giving more than you get Mm -hmm. is that I, I try at least to make it so that whoever I'm, you know, networking with, having conversations with, get meeting with, um, they don't feel like I'm taking from them, that I, I feel like I'm, I'm some kind of, that I'm additive in their whole, you know, life and, and however that I can be. And so I generally find ways to um, really help the people that I've met. Um, you know, one of the things that I did back at Atrium in the early days when we were kind of building that division up was we were talking to a lot of founders and I would have 30 minute conversations with founders. A lot of founders, uh, quite frankly, were just too early for anything at Atrium actually, you know, legal services or fundraise concierge or anything. But I'd like to just, you know, try and help and have a conversation with you. And if I have a good conversation with you down the road, we'll have more conversations down the road. We'll, we'll talk more about this business or other businesses. And I, I've kind of lived by that same mentality. I did the same thing with investors. Um, I was actually setting up a lot of meetings with investors that I hadn't met with. Uh, what I would generally do is I, I, you know, focus on an industry. I focus on a vertical or, or something. And then when I saw investors on that list that I didn't know, you know, wanted to get to know better, I would just do code outreach. I'd reach out to them or I have a friend reach out to them and I'd say, Hey, I'd love to have a conversation with you. And here's what I can offer. I'm talking to hundreds of startups a month. I'm helping them with their fundraise process. And I'd love to connect you because at the end of the day, why not get some free deal flow? 
And so those conversations really led to me meeting some incredible investors as well, sending deal flow over. And then, you know, if I focus on different verticals, so for example, I did a dinner around fintech. We have a, a room, I think we had about 30 people at that dinner, um, fintech investors, ourselves, and then a, a couple of different companies. But if I know what they're interested in, I can, of course, send them deal flow that's interesting to them, right? Mm -hmm. If I know you're interested in deal, uh, deal flow within the fintech industry, let me send you like two or three that I've met and talked to over the last couple of months. And then if you're interested, let me connect you. And so if I do things like that, then they see me as someone who's not just trying to take. It's like I, I genuinely want to help. Um, and I think one of the things that, that really gets me very um, excited and, and makes me very happy is being able to make a mutually beneficial connection. Um, there's been a lot of founders that I've connected with, you know, lead investors. For example, I just got one a couple days ago. I said, oh, hey, thanks for connecting us with this person. Um, he's actually leading our round now. And I was like, that's great. That's amazing. Like, I, I don't get anything out of that, obviously, and I don't want to, and I'm okay with that. Um, but it's really great when those connections work out because the investor is obviously happy they made the investment and uh, the, the founders are happy that I connected them. So on both sides of the coin, I'm able to at least contribute uh, somewhat. And so a lot of the posts that I make about people raising capital or whatever, um, you know, I've, I've seen some of these companies since before they had raised any capital. I've, I've talked to some of these founders before they'd raised their $50 million rounds. And in some cases, I know the investors and, and I had sent them deal flow because they told me they're interested in this vertical or that vertical. Um, and those conversations, it's great to see them actually come to uh, some kind of a, a deal at the end of it all. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And for you guys listening, you guys probably can't see me smile, but I've been smiling <laughs> and nodding along because I met Jimmy last year, roughly around the same time. And what struck me is how generous he really is. You know, like when I, my first initial conversation with Jimmy was our first month, not even like our first full month of creating AHN yet. And I came in super clueless talking to Jimmy. I didn't know what to ask him. I didn't know what to say to him. <laughs> but he still took the call with me anyways and really tried to help me learn, like, what should I do next? And I remember that conversation. <laughs> there was a lot of questions about, like, so I think it's starting to grow. I don't know where we want to take it. We have a couple oh, ideas. What do you think about this? No, it was great because, right. it, because I'll tell you this. I was impressed at how quickly the community had already started growing. I thought it was really cool. Um, and I started sharing with my friends because I found value in, in reading the stories of others. And I wanted to share with other people who I wanted them to share their stories as well. Of course, I shared my story just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. And I, th I thought it was such a great idea of building this community. Uh, and it was, it was actually really great that you reached out to me because I having a conversation with you, it was great to see how something was really working. But it was also great to see where you wanted to take it, have some of those conversations, and to also recognize that it was still early on. Like, mm -hmm. I didn't know how early it was until we had that conversation. I was like, oh, this is like just something that's just working, but you don't, you know, it's, it's almost, you know, growing like a weed and you're not entirely sure how to control it. Yeah. And I would say that's the perfect um, example of product market fit. And this is, this actually reminds me of a conversation I had with Steve Huffman. So Steve, of course, founder and CEO of Reddit, he's, he's running it and you know, Reddit, obviously one of the largest properties in the internet today. Mm -hmm. And he said, this is his learning about product market fit. Product market fit is like when something keeps growing, even though you've done everything to screw it up, it just keeps on growing. <laughs> Sounds like us. Like, you don't know what you're doing. You're doing everything wrong. And no matter what you do, it just keeps growing. You've probably got something really good there. And that was, uh, that was his experience with Reddit. He was like, look, uh -huh. we were uh, going through building this company. We didn't know what we were doing at the time. And a lot of things we were doing were quite wrong. And the thing just kept growing. We didn't know what to do. It just kept, you know, continuing to grow. And so, that's when you know you have something really, really exciting. And I think that was the early days. And when, when you and I had that conversation, it's the same thing. I saw the same thing. I was like, this thing just keeps growing. Yeah. And I was excited about it. And I was sharing with my friends. And then my friends who were part of it, they were sharing with their friends. And then, you know, more and more people just became a part of the community. Yeah. yeah. So, thank you for that. And now that you reminded me, that's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> I love that perspective. Honestly, it does just keep growing. You know, there are going to be hardships. We've had a couple of speed bumps, but it just keeps growing. And we know that it's something that we definitely need in this community. Yeah. yeah. So, Jimmy, so this podcast is going to be published in January. So what are your goals for 2021? Ooh, 2021. I mean, well, I think 
professionally, I'm very happy where, with where we are. Professionally, our goal is to be growing very, very quickly. So in the next two years, um, ultimately, we want to 10x where we are at. You know, That's really what we're hoping for. We're going to be pushing hard and, and growing the company and keep going. Um, the company's grown a lot since I joined uh, already. And the, the, the goal is to grow even faster, even more. Build up more of a team here around growth as well. So that'd be good. Uh, personally, I think we were kind of talking about this before. I just bought a home here in Pleasanton. Um, my wife and I are, are settling down a little bit. And so uh, I think it's uh, just kind of settling in a little bit, getting comfortable here and, and building up uh, our family here. Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, that's really awesome to hear. I mean, you've definitely had such a journey, you know, going from Go Planet and Loop and Mixer Box. What are Don't forget about the Lone Shark days. And too. the Lone Shark days. <laughs> <laughs> that's how it all started. <laughs> how it all started. Um, the humble beginnings. What would yeah. you say would be the biggest lesson that you've learned? throughout your journey all these years mm -hmm. as a founder I, and as an executive? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know if this is the biggest, but it's certainly one that pops to mind. And it's just that you're going to get through it. Um, with the founders that I've kind of coached and talked to, and even myself, what I've seen is that uh, with every entrepreneurial journey, it's a roller coaster. There's going to be tremendous highs. You got a round of funding. That's great. And there's going to be tremendous lows. The money is going down, 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 down. What am I supposed to do? I think I talked about this story in the other podcast as well. You know, for a period of time when our company was having trouble and we were pivoting, it was a very difficult time. My, my co-founder and I were getting at each other's necks, basically fighting all the time. And it was like a bad marriage. And then, you know, to make it worse, we were trying to pivot. Uh, we were building up something where we had to not be, you know, with our families here in San Francisco. We actually moved out to Seattle to launch the, the new application we were trying to build. Uh, and at the, you know, when we first started, we were in Airbnbs. We were in one-bedroom Airbnbs where we were basically in the same room working 24-7. I mean, we were sleeping like three, four hours a night. So it was um, incredibly painful. And so you've got these tremendous highs, this incredible lows. And if you want to be a founder, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you have to recognize that that's what you're signing up for. It's going to be, you know, sunny days and, and rainy days, and you have to be able to weather that. And it's really hard. So what I've noticed is that um, one of the things that's great about AHN and these networks is having people that you can talk to who understand what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So what I found is that, it, you know, my founder friends, for example, we can genuinely have a conversation about what's going on because what you tell everybody is, Hey, we're killing it. It's, it's this massive growth. Everything's great. But the realities of it are that it's not so great. It's actually really hard and every day is really difficult and you have to push yourself through that, but it gets a little bit easier. If you have a network of people who understand that you can lean to and have a genuine open conversation. And I, I've actually posted about this and, and written about this before as well. You know, if there's founders that are quite frankly, just struggling and, and don't know where to go with their companies or have issues, it doesn't have to be all roses. You know, let's have a chat. Let's talk about it. I'm happy to listen. I'm happy to have a conversation with you. You know, Brian, similar to how we started this, mm -hmm. I actually enjoyed the fact that you didn't come at it with like, I know everything. It was like, Hey, I actually am not sure about certain things. Can I ask you about them? And said, yeah, let's, let's talk because it's hard to find someone you can have a genuine conversation about and not feel like, Hey, I'm being stupid because I don't know this. It's like, no, everyone has situations they go through where they don't know it. Mm -hmm. Every one of these incredible billion dollar companies we're talking about had instances where the founders were like, I'm in over my head. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And they had to have someone to talk to. And that could be an advisor. That could be an investor. That could just be a friend. And I'd like to offer that out to, of course, you guys and, and our listeners and AHN folks. If mm -hmm. they wanted someone who's just a friend who wants to, you know, that you can have a conversation with. Let's talk. Let's talk about the real, you know, good and the bad. And let's see if we can talk about what's going on because we all need that sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we love you. We love that you're offering that out. We also want to warn you too, because you're going to be bombarded. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure about that, Jimmy? <laughs> I'm offering it up and I mean it. <laughs> but but the, the word of advice is that it does get better. I mean, at the end of the day, the good, the the good comes with the bad, the bad comes with the good, but at the end of the day, it's gonna come, it's gonna be fine. Um, so don't get too low on the down days, don't get too high on the high days. Try to manage it uh, and find a strong network of people 
that you can depend on to have conversations with because I think it'll be really helpful for founders out there, especially the first time founders. Yeah. I love that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So we always ask our interviewees this one last question. I know you've given so many good golden nuggets, but if you could give just one advice to an aspiring entrepreneur looking to get into the startup world. Because especially during are, COVID too. Especially during COVID, <laughs> right. What would you know what's advice? interesting? Uh, COVID has obviously changed everything that's out there. And I can mm-hmm. talk uh, at length about how it's changed for investors and founders and everything. But for founders, um, here's the good actually. It used to be that you really couldn't get any deal done if you didn't meet in person with the investors. Mm -hmm. Because of COVID, that's not possible. And a lot of deals have been done without that. So the opportunity now is if you are someone who is a hustler, someone who actually goes out and gets things done, and you go and find the investors you want to talk to, set up the meetings you want to set up, you actually have more of a chance of getting that deal done now because everyone's doing kind of a a remote Zoom call kind of culture now versus before where it was almost, you know, a lot more difficult for that to happen, especially if you were not local. And I think it's actually a great opportunity for founders that really want to get things done, really want to get in front of the right investors or whatever. Um, This is your chance actually, because before maybe they didn't invest in, I don't know, a startup from Arizona or, you know, whatever. And they only looked in the Bay area because that's what they knew. And they were already kind of busy enough with companies here. Um, but now I think investors have become a lot more open to having kind of the initial conversations, um, over email, over zoom, et cetera. And as a founder, this is a great chance for you to go after what you really want. If you really want to talk to that investor, you feel like there's going to be a really good match there. Um, prepare your narrative, figure out how to get in front of them. Warm intros are great, uh, but go do it. I think this is a, this is a golden opportunity that really wasn't available before. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's really, really good Mm -hmm. advice. Thank you. Thank you so much for that, Jimmy. Yeah, Yeah, of course. And how can our listeners learn more about you online? Yep. How can they take you up on the offer? (laughs) (laughs) That's a great question. So I'm going to find a way to make it a little bit easier. I'm, I'm, you know, putting some, some ways that, yeah, I guess they can email me at at the moment. Um, Honestly, if they email me and they put something in the header that connects to AHN, I'll read it. Um, I will respond. I'm really good about email. And, you know, I I don't know where we're at in terms of numbers of people uh, for AHN. And so maybe I'll get inundated, but um, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm happy to at least start an email conversation. So my email is just my name at gmail.com, jimmyku at gmail.com. I've just given it out. So feel free, email me, put something in the, uh, the subject header that says it's AHN. I promise you, I will at least read it and respond. Uh, I'll be really good about that. And then we can go from there because, uh, you know, if, if I could be helpful, then uh, that'd be great. Awesome. Thank you so much for your generosity, Jimmy. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for being on today's podcast. We really enjoyed it. We love your story. (laughs) Thanks so much. We'll continue having these conversations with you in the future. Yeah. Yeah, Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to to share the story. Really excited to see the continued growth of this community you guys have built. And and you're honored that you guys reached out and said, let's have this conversation. So thanks so much for your time as well. Awesome. Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you, Jimmy. All right. Have a good rest of your day. Bye. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.